Good afternoon, everyone. The beginning of the end of the pandemic started with the leadership of President Trump. In recent days, Pfizer and Moderna reported the highly successful results of their vaccine development, each achieving a COVID vaccine that is over 90% effective. We know Moderna is 94.5% effective, Pfizer 95%. That is extraordinary. In July, the Trump administration, as part of Operation Warp Speed, agreed to provide Pfizer with $1.95 billion to manufacture and distribute their COVID vaccine, allowing this vaccine to be provided free for the American people. While Democrats were pursuing a highly divisive and entirely baseless impeachment endeavor as far back as January 13th, this president, the Trump administration and the National Institute of Health was partnering with Moderna and working on this vaccine for the American people. But that's not all. This administration has remained engaged on the development and distribution of a safe and effective vaccine throughout the year, began in January and continued thereafter. On May 15th, Operation Warp Speed was launched. On September 16th, we released two documents outlining a strategy to deliver a safe and effective vaccine. Uh, these documents were the strategic, distri strategic Distribution Overview and the Interim Playbook for State, Tribal, Territorial, and Local Health Programs and Partners. On September 23rd, we provided $200 million to jurisdictions to support plans for eventual distribution. On October 14th, we provided $31 million to Sitvia for vaccine-related consumable products. On October 16th, we made agreements with CVS and Walgreens to administer vaccines to residents of long-term care facilities. On October 21st, under the PREP Act, we issued guidance authorizing qualified pharmacy technicians to administer the vaccine. On October 30th, we announced that McKesson Corporation will produce, store, and distribute vaccine ancillary supply kits on behalf of the strategic national stockpile to help healthcare workers who will administer the vaccines. And on November 12th, we announced the partnership with large chain pharmacies and independent regional ones to deliver safe and effective vaccines. The unprecedented response to this pandemic has already saved many American lives. And as you can see, this timeline was ongoing. This was a long process and one uh, that we are very proud of. Now, with multiple safe and effective vaccines just around the corner, we urge all Americans to wash your hands, socially distance, wear a mask when you cannot do so. And with that, I'll take questions. Kevin. Kevin, thanks. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm asked fairly often uh, away from the White House, and that is uh, with respect to what Rudy Giuliani and the legal team on the campaign side had to say yesterday. People asked, let's suggest that, yes, there is evidence of fraud, irregularities, even malicious intent with respect to vote totals. The question is, what then would be the pathway or strategy to overturn what the campaign believes is a flawed election? Are we talking about a judicial pathway? Are we talking about a legislative pathway? And a follow-up, how soon might Americans be able to get their hands on a COVID vaccine? Yes, so to uh, your first point, I would say this. Um, there's been multiple pieces of litigation filed across the country by various uh, individuals, the campaign and others. I will leave it to the campaign to make 
those determinations um, as to how to proceed. But the president's been very clear. He wants every legal vote to be counted uh, and to make sure no illegal votes are counted. Uh, but with regard to a vaccine, uh, we believe that there will be 40 million doses available by the end of the year. Uh, again, this is extraordinary. This is the fastest vaccine in history by, uh, by five-fold. Um, it's really extraordinary progress. You've heard Dr. Fauci, among others, say that. And it was only made possible because of this president who said at the same time I'm pursuing a vaccine, I'm going to do something novel. I'm going to manufacture it. Uh, so many American lives will be saved thanks to President Trump and the great work of Operation Warp Speed. Can I follow up one more? Just one thing about the uh, COVID vaccine. Is there a concern inside the White House that a lack of working with a potential or presumptive President-elect Biden team will somehow slow down the distribution of the COVID vaccine? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. It's an important one and not in the slightest, um, because in fact, I did hear the former vice president say yesterday uh, he was concerned about not being able to distribute a vaccine. Um, he shouldn't be. Um, maybe he hasn't seen, but we have publicly available that plan that I mentioned in my opening. It's the COVID-19 vaccination program, the interim playbook for jurisdiction operations. This is publicly available if the former vice president would like to read through it. Um, beyond that, I would say that we've already, um, going back months, partnered with the 64 jurisdictions um, in this country to make sure that they each had individualized distribution plans. Those have been assessed. Uh, those have been um, made certain that they're, they're good and operational. So this work has been ongoing. There's a distribution plan in place, which is why you heard General Perna say yesterday that within 24 hours of getting that EUA, the emergency use authorization, we will be able to distribute this all across the country. When are you going to admit you lost? Yes, Kevin. Yeah. Sorry, Mario. Okay. Thanks, Kaylee. Um, what is the president planning to discuss this afternoon uh, with the two Michigan lawmakers? And will he ask them to uh, have the state legislature appoint electors uh, who will support his reelection? What's the nature of that meeting? So he will be meeting uh, later on. Um, this is not an advocacy meeting. There will be no one from the campaign there. Uh, he routinely meets with lawmakers from all across the country. When will you admit you lost the election? Kaylee, at, at what point does the president concede the race and allow for a proper transition to the Biden team? So uh, right now there's ongoing litigation. There are, um, what we know, 74 million Americans that voted for this president. That's more votes than any president has gotten in history. Um, it's really extraordinary. And there are very real claims um, out there that the campaign is pursuing. 234 pages of affidavits publicly available in one county alone. Uh, that's Wayne County and two individuals on the canvassing board there that have declined to certify. So these are real claims. These individuals deserve to be heard. Uh, this was a system that had never been tried in American history, mass mail-out voting. Uh, it's one that we have identified as being particularly prone to fraud, so those claims deserve to be pursued. Yeah. Um, has anyone from the White House spoken with GSA, with the director of GSA, about the timing of ascertaining who the next president will be, and has any pressure been applied to her? Absolutely not. Uh, GSA will make the determine determination of ascertainment um, at the right moment. Right now, uh, there's a constitutional process that's being played out. There are questions being asked in court, but the GSA will determine when ascertainment is reached. Can I just ask one other question, which is uh, Senator Lamar Alexander today has put out a statement encouraging 
the Trump administration in the absence of ascertainment to begin allowing uh, the Biden team access, full access to everything they need for a transition, access to agencies, access to real-time data. Um, what's the harm in doing that? So um, there's a Presidential Transition Act that determines exactly what an administration needs to do um, in advance of an election. And we have done everything statutorily uh, required, and we will continue to do that. It's yes. after the election. Thank you. I have a question first, um, a follow-up on the transition. Has the president or anyone in the administration instructed officials not to engage or have conversations with members of the Biden transition team? No, I've certainly never been instructed that. I've never heard of an instruction to that end. Okay, and uh, my second question is about COVID. Because yesterday, a lot of what we heard from the doctors, they've been saying since uh, the end of March. Back then, the projections were that 100,000 Americans would die. Now, as you know, we've surpassed that by two and a half times. Did the administration fail to communicate how serious this threat was to the American people? Or how else do you explain what went wrong? Look, I would say the initial projection that our doctors gave us was two million people um, that would lose their lives. Um, and it's a tragedy anytime one life is lost, but we are far below uh, the two million that this could have been. We took very aggressive measures at the beginning of this uh, with the China travel ban, creating the greatest testing system in the entire world. Therapeutics, the fact that we have six working therapeutics right now, uh, the fact that we continue to identify more and more, um, the fact that I believe we have a chart on this, a fatality chart. It's um, deaths by 100 um, for age and month. And as you can see, deaths have come down for every age group. And for those over 70, that line, that red line, is a testament to what this president has done. Uh, therapeutics, uh, monoclonal antibodies, that is a recent one, uh, that reduces hospitalization in high-risk uh, seniors with moderate to mild COVID by 70%. That's American ingenuity rising to the occasion, and President Trump oversaw all of this. But of course, um, we are seeing cases rise, and it's very important. Wash your hands, socially distance. We're taking this seriously. Do you think the mixed messaging contributed to that? Because just this week, for example, yesterday, Vice President Pence wanted to make clear that they supported state and local decision making. Just two days ago, you called some of those state guidelines Orwellian. So how do you expect people to know what to do with all this mixed messaging? Well, two things um, can happen at once, and it's this, taking COVID seriously, engaging in aggressive mitigation, but also recognizing that the American people have certain freedoms. And it is by definition Orwellian for a state like Oregon to say, if you have more than six people in your family congregate in your home, we can jail you for 30 days. That's not the American way. The American people um, know the CDC recommendations, know the guidelines. We've been talking about this for 10 months, but the American people still have certain freedoms, still have autonomy, and still can make important self-responsibility decisions themselves. Um, yes, Deborah. Thank you, Kaylee. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Um, Last night, Tucker Carlson said that campaign attorney Sidney Powell had failed to provide evidence for her assertion about communist money in the 2020 election. And Byron York, another journalist who's been very fair to this White House, uh, said that he, he, it was a turning point. Rudy Giuliani and the conduct at that press conference where Republicans were feeling that, uh, that the legal maneuvers just aren't working. So is there a, did you all have a reaction to that when you saw that and read about it? 
Um, again, that would be a question for the campaign. Uh, we at the White House are aggressively working on COVID, uh, winding down the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, among other issues. There will be a drug pricing announcement later in the afternoon as well. Okay, listen, yes. down the cooler, uh, could I ask a question for Jackson Richmond of the Jewish News Syndicate who couldn't be here because yes. of social distancing? Uh, and his question is about um, J Jonathan Pollard. Uh, his parole conditions are set to expire tomorrow. Is the president willing to commute his parole conditions or pardon him if the DOJ extends Pollard's parole? Uh, have you been getting any calls from the Jewish and pro-Israel community to take action on this case? Um, I haven't heard about that. I haven't looked into the particular case, but um, if he shoots me an email, we'll take a look at his question. Thank you. Yes. Um, so back to the topic of concession, like we said earlier, is there something that the president needs to see before making that call? Is it the end of these lawsuits whenever they do wrap up all of them, um, states certifying results or different counties or December 14th when the Electoral College casts its ballots? Look, the president, again, is pursuing ongoing litigation, um, taking it day by day, and we'll wait for that litigation uh, to play out. So just to clarify, it's the end of that litigation that we would need to see before getting a call. There's an entire constitutional process of electors casting their ballots, and I will leave that to the president. Yes. Chanel. Thank you, Kaylee. Contrary to the court of media opinion, there is real-time data showing vast irregularities in the voting system that we have watched over the last few weeks. I asked this question of the campaign, and I asked this of now, the White House. Where is our FBI in this entire scheme? Are they looking at any of the evidence that this White House or the campaign have presented in terms of real-time data evidence of voter irregularity? Where is the FBI? Yeah, um, you know, I would refer you to the FBI um, on that, um, to the DOJ on that. Um, there's in the last three weeks? Not that I'm aware of. Um, but look, I would say that there are real questions on mass mail-out voting. We have put those questions forward. Um, and uh, we've said this for the better part of a year. There was a bipartisan commission uh, that talked about and identified the real potential for fraud uh, with mass mail-in voting. Also, um, something that I would note is just we talked a lot about transfer of power in the election. And it's worth remembering um, that this president was never given an orderly transition of power. Um, his presidency was never accepted. Um, in fact, before uh, the election, his election, we know Crossfire Hurricane was launched by Peter Strzok to pursue a baseless allegations about the president's ties with Russia. Uh, that's before he was president, trying to subvert the will of the American people. We know in August, Peter Strzok wrote a text message about an insurance policy against a Trump presidency, once again trying to silence the voice of the American people. Um, in 2016, we know in October that there was a FISA warrant, a FISA warrant taken out to spy on the Trump campaign. And then the American people spoke, and they spoke commandingly in electing President Trump, despite all of the odds. And what happened after he was elected? You had 70 lawmakers say, we're not coming to his inauguration, Democratic lawmakers. You had Elizabeth Warren saying, we're going to attempt to obstruct the Trump transition by urging the Government Accountability Office to investigate uh, the incoming Trump transition. Um, in January of that year, you had President Obama have a by-the-book meeting where they talked about the Logan Act, using that act to go after Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Just before the inauguration, you had BuzzFeed promoting and publishing this bogus steel dossier that's been widely debunked. And then for two years, you had the basis Mueller investigation, which searched for collusion, found none, and exonerated President Trump. While in 2016, President Trump became the duly elected president, 
Many sought to undermine him, discredit him, delegitimize him, and deny his victory. There were no calls for unity. There were no calls for healing. So while every legal vote is counted, let us not forget the inexcusable transition or lack thereof that President Trump had to endure in 2016 and four years into his presidency. Thank you everyone for the very good and substantive questions today. Thank you very much. This is a very big announcement, the biggest ever concerning drugs and drug pricing. So today, I have to tell you it's a great honor for me to announce that my administration is issuing two groundbreaking rules to very dramatically lower the price of prescription drugs for the American people, especially for our cherished seniors. We're pleased to be joined on this occasion by Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, an administrator of Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Seema Verma. Thank you both. Thank you both. And thank you all for being here. Appreciate it. The unprecedented reforms we're completing today are the direct result of the historic drug pricing executive orders I signed in July. Uh, statutorily, we had to go through a very long process and we got it done. I was very proud to have gotten this done. We were pushing it very hard, as we did with the vaccines and other things. Uh, the first action will save American seniors billions of dollars by preventing middlemen, famous middlemen, they call them, from ripping off Medicare patients with high prescription prices. Currently, drug companies provide large discounts on the price of prescription medicines, including nearly $40 billion in rebates to Medicare Part D plans last year alone. Yet often, middlemen stop those discounts from going to the patients, which is what we're interested in, not the middlemen who need it the most. So the patients are going to be now getting the benefit instead of these very wealthy individuals. Patients pay very high prices, and they have for many years, although we brought it down, first time in 51 years, with the costs adding up to hundreds or even thousands of dollars per year per patient. Today's action ends this injustice and requires that these discounts go directly to people. These are the people that need it. This will save patients up to 30 percent, could be 40 percent, could be 50 percent, could be much higher than that. These are numbers that nobody's ever even contemplated. And uh, that doesn't include life-saving drugs like insulin, which will be even higher. Insulin was destroying lives and destroying families because the cost was so high, and now it's uh, at a level that nobody can even believe. Is that correct, Sima? $35 a month from many times that number. The second rule we're finalizing today will transform the way the U.S. government pays for drugs to end global freeloading on the backs of 
American citizens and American patients. Until now, Americans have often been charged more than twice as much for the exact same drug as other medically advanced countries. Uh, we would be having a drug, identical drug, same company, and we'd pay many times the price of what that drug would sell for in certain countries. In case after case, our citizens pay massively higher prices than other nations pay for the same exact pill from the same factory, effectively subsidizing socialism aboard with skyrocketing prices at home. So we would spend tremendous amounts of money in order to provide inexpensive drugs to another country. And when I say the price is different, uh, you can see some examples where the price is beyond anything four times, five times different. For example, Medicare Part B recipients are forced to spend five times more for a common breast cancer medication than patients in other countries. So five times more. And we have other examples that are substantially higher than that. To address this unfairness and to lower prices for Americans, we're finalizing the most favored nation rule. Remember that name, most favored nation rule. Uh, nobody's ever done this. Uh, the drug companies don't like me too much, but we had to do it. It took a long time before we were, we were able to do this because statutorily we had to go through a process. But there'll, there'll never be anything like this. I just hope they keep it. I hope they have the courage to keep it because the powerful drug lobby, Big Pharma, is uh, putting pressure on people like you wouldn't believe. Medicare will now look at the price that other developed nations pay for their drugs. And instead of paying the highest price on the list, and we are substantially higher than any other country in the world, we will pay the lowest price. In other words, we take the lowest price and we match whatever the lowest price is, leading to colossal savings for all Americans. And we're talking about savings of 50, 60, 70 percent, 80 percent, different drugs, different prices. In addition, today, we're taking one more historic action to hold down drug prices. In the past, drug companies have been allowed to identify certain very old generic drugs that have been widely available for decades and exploit a misguided program called Unapproved Drugs Initiative. That's Unapproved Drugs Initiative, a program that has been around for a long time and uh, hasn't been too good for the, the people that were supposed to benefit to obtain market exclusivity on these medicines. So uh, we are doing something that uh, nobody thought anybody would do. The savings is going to be incredible. Then they've jacked up the prices by as much as 1,000 to 5,000 percent on uh, this product. This program has also caused shortages of important medicines. Today I'm announcing that we are ending the Unapproved Drugs Initiative program to stop this unfair practice. So prices are lifted by a thousand percent to five thousand percent in one or two cases, even more than that. And we're ending this. We are putting an end to it. Together, these reforms will save American patients many, many billions of dollars every single year. For generations, the American people have been abused by Big Pharma and their army of lawyers, lobbyists, and bought and paid for politicians. But I've been loyal to the special interests. I've been loyal to our patients. 
you know, people that need drugs, prescription drugs, and devoted myself to completely fighting for the American people. You see that? This is not an easy thing to do. Big Pharma ran millions of dollars of negative advertisements against me during the campaign, which I won, by the way, but, you know, find that out. Uh, almost 74 million votes. We had Big Pharma against us. We had the media against us. We had Big Tech against us. Uh, we had a lot of dishonesty against us. But Big Pharma alone ran millions and millions of dollars in ads. In fact, I looked at it and said, who is it? Uh, they, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it because I told them I'm going to have to do this. You know, I was put here to do a job. And Pfizer and others were way ahead on vaccines. You wouldn't have a vaccine if it weren't for me for another four years because FDA would have never been able to do what they did, what I forced them to do. And Pfizer and others even decided to not assess the results of their vaccine. In other words, not come out with a vaccine until just after the election. That's because of what I did with favored nations and these other elements. Instead of their original plan to assess the data in October, so they were going to come out in October, but they decided to delay it because of what I'm doing, which is fine with me because, frankly, this is just a very big thing. Very big thing. What I'm doing here, I don't know if anyone's going to appreciate it. These people can't even believe it. Alex, even you can't believe it, can you? Look at you. So they waited and waited and waited, and they thought they'd come out with it a few days after the election. Uh, and it would have probably had an impact. Who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have. I'm sure they would have found the ballot someplace, the Democrats and the group. These corrupt games will not deter us from doing what is right for the American people. And I will always put American patients first, and I think uh, it can never be shown better than what I'm doing today. Already, we successfully lowered drug prices for the first time in 51 years. In September, we finalized a rule allowing states, wholesalers, and pharmacies to safely and legally import drugs from Canada. Career politicians have promised to institute this reform for decades, and we got it done. The reason Canada, and this is going to be, I think, just a short-term fixed because until we have the favored nations fully ready, which we hope to have be in January 1st. I think a very important thing is to say January 1st. It's right around the corner. Um, but uh, I'm giving governors the right to go to Canada because they'll pay, pay approximately 50 percent less for their drugs for that they buy for their states. So the governors buying drugs for their states go to Canada. They buy the drugs for very, very much less, and they'll be able to pass that on to the people of Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, was the first one to ask, but others are asking also. And uh, it's a great thing. I mean, you'll save 50 percent. They're going to buy a lot from Canada uh, initially, and I think ultimately they'll be comparing prices. You'll get the lowest price anywhere in the world, so you won't need to buy from Canada. In a few weeks, my administration will also finalize rules requiring federally funded health centers to pass drug company discounts on insulin and EpiPens directly to patients, and the EpiPen prices come way down. We remember those horrible stories about EpiPen. Well, the prices now come way, way, way down. We capped insulin costs for many seniors at just $35 a month, as I said, saving them an average of nearly $500 to $1,000 a year just on insulin. Saving $1,000 a year on insulin. Since I took office, We've reduced Medicare Part D premiums by 12 percent, putting nearly 
$2 billion back into seniors' pockets. Now, 12% is great by any standard, but 12% is peanuts compared to what we've done with favored nations. It's, uh, I think it's probably the biggest story that we've ever had relative to drug prices. There's never been anything like this. This is uh, something that has been talked about for many years, but nobody had the courage to do it because of the power of Big Pharma. We ended the gag clauses that prevented pharmacists from telling patients how to buy less expensive drugs. As you know, pharmacists could not talk to patients about how to buy drugs. How about that one? I think that's right. And now they can and should. We approved a record number of affordable generic drugs for three years in a row. And we put a very, hef- very heavy emphasis on generic drugs. And uh, the pricing there has become very good. But that pricing will also go down very substantially. No administration has ever fought harder or achieved more for our patients and for our seniors. But for America, when you think of it, for America, because other countries were paying a fraction of what we were paying. In some cases, a small fraction. I mean, it was it was uh, what the numbers were just staggering, the difference between going to, I won't name nations, but I could uh, name five of them right off the top of my head, that uh, it, it is so incredible to think about for years what was happening. We've been working on this for two years. Statutorily, we had to go through a process. But when you think that our nation, for the exact same pill out of the exact same box, often made in the exact same factory, same company, and you take a look at uh, the cost was so much more, many, many times more. In four short years, we've instituted the most dramatic series of drug pricing reforms in decades. And you'll see that it all comes to fruition right now, starting on January 1st. And the American people will benefit from our actions for many, many decades. And it should be very immediate. Now, I presume they'll sue, but it's a suit that they should never be able to win. Uh, They should never, ever be able to win. So now I'd like to ask Secretary Azar to provide some more details as to the action. And then, Seema, I'd like to have you come up and say a a few words. And uh, great job. We appreciate it. Thank you, Secretary. Well, thank you, Mr. President. What an extremely exciting day for American health care. On top of the news that you just made, today, Pfizer will be filing an application for an emergency use authorization with the FDA for their COVID-19 vaccine that appears to be 95% effective. Within weeks, we could have a decision from FDA, and within 24 hours of that, we will have started distributing millions of doses of safe and effective vaccine to begin protecting our most vulnerable across America. You know, the president mentioned his passion for getting drug prices down, and I can tell you I've seen that firsthand. When I became secretary in January 2018, the very first meeting we had in the Oval Office was to put together our plan for tackling drug prices. It was the number one priority the president said for us was getting drug prices down. And in that meeting, we came up with the idea for most favored nation status and for ensuring that the discount prices that Big Pharma was giving to middlemen would get passed on to America's seniors at the pharmacy counter. And almost two and a half years ago, in May, the president laid out the most comprehensive vision for reforming drug pricing 
in American history. The president's blueprint was clear. We need to put American patients first, and our drug pricing system too often puts them last. The system had to change. The blueprint called for tackling foreign free riding, for bringing down high list prices, for reducing out-of-pocket costs, and for better negotiation by our government programs. That's what the president has delivered over the last two years already, and that's what the president's delivering today with these new historic reforms. We're ending a broken system of shadowy kickbacks that drove prices higher and higher every single year and left so many patients shocked at the out-of-pocket costs that they owe at the pharmacy. We're replacing that system with upfront discounts in Medicare delivered straight to the patient at the pharmacy counter. We're bringing negotiation to the way we pay for the most costly drugs in Medicare, fixing a system where the government just took the price that drug companies offered, paying about twice as much as comparable countries. We're ending a program that's been used by drug companies to jack up prices on older drugs. The president's actions today boldly take on the big drug companies, take on the middlemen, and take on foreign countries free riding off of Americans. If you don't believe how fiercely special interests have fought these efforts, you must not have watched any TV in Washington over the last couple of years. Special interests have run millions of dollars in ads against the president's drug pricing initiatives. Mr. President, they underestimated me, and they sure as the devil underestimated you. About two years ago, just over in the Roosevelt Room, the president signed legislation to ban pharmacy gag clauses alongside me and his drug pricing advisors. That included my friend and colleague, Dan Best, who passed away two years ago this month. And he devoted his life to lowering drug costs for American patients, putting them at the center of our healthcare system, just as President Trump has done. And he was one of the key driving forces behind the rules that we are announcing today. I wish Dan could have been here today, Mr. President, but today's actions are a lasting legacy for him and for you. The president's historic actions will transform drug pricing forever and build the system that American, the American people deserve, a system that puts American patients first. Thank you so much, Mr. President, for making today possible. Thank you. Masks and hoop earrings don't work well. Thank you, Mr. President, for your leadership. And let me take a moment to give some context for today's announcement. From day one, President Trump made it very clear that he wanted to make health care more affordable and accessible to every American. And the most important thing is that he wasn't afraid to take on the special interest groups to get this goal accomplished. And in the absence of any meaningful legislative support, this administration has delivered real, tangible results. Premiums down in Medicare by 34 percent, the lowest in 14 years, and some areas saw declines almost as much as 60 percent. We stabilized the exchange, lowering premiums for the first time, and brought back more plan choices. We have set forth a pathway to make the American health care system work more efficiently to deliver better quality and lower cost, tackling long-standing problems that no other administration had the guts to do. And the list is long. Price transparency so that patients know what they're getting charged before they get their care. Portable digital health records so patients have their complete medical history right on their phones. 
reducing regulatory burdens so that doctors can spend more time with patients. The healthcare system will work better because of what this administration and President Trump has accomplished. And as the President noted, our achievements on drug pricing are no less sweeping and unprecedented. Thanks to regulatory changes in 2017, the Part D premiums have dropped to some of the lowest rates in seven years, saving beneficiaries over $1.9 billion in premiums. And we're also bringing price transparency to Medicare so that doctors and patients have pricing information when drugs are prescribed so that patients can get the best deal. The President's senior savings model has our Medicare beneficiaries cheering this year as they are selecting plans in this year's open enrollment. They have over 1,600 plans that are offering insulin for just $35 a month or less, and that is a massive 66% savings. Today's announcement is about Part B, where the Medicare program has been nothing but a powerless price taker. And the problem is simple. While there are market forces and negotiations that serve to reduce costs in other parts of the healthcare system, it just doesn't exist in Part B, which pays for drugs that you get in a doctor's office, cancer drugs and other infusions. In Part B, American seniors and taxpayers pay whatever drug companies want to charge. And doctors also get paid a percentage add-on. So the higher the drug costs, the more they get paid, giving an overt incentive to prescribe higher price drugs and for manufacturers to increase its prices. And so it's no wonder that American seniors are paying twice as much as what other countries are paying. And because of this, over the past five years, Medicare spending for Part B drugs has gone up by 55% on average and drug spending in Part B is responsible for over a third of the premiums that our seniors pay. So the bottom line is higher drug costs lead to higher premiums and higher co-pays. Doctors do well, drug companies do well, but patients pay more. This effort is going to save over $85 billion over seven years and saving seniors over $28 billion as well. And so I want to thank the President for being a problem solver willing to be to think big and to act boldly on behalf of the American patients. His record of success over the last four years is a testimony to that mentality. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.